0: Hello and welcome to another episode of OCONUS, The Contractor's Life, an unscripted, free-flow, no-axe-to-grind podcast that explores the often murky and secretive world of overseas private security contracting and the private contracting world as a whole. From the foothills of Cedar Woolly, Washington, I'm your host, Scott Drusher. My guest for this episode is Dave Williams. You may remember him from a previous episode, and I'm very pleased to have him back for another round of discussions. Um... Uh, Dave Williams, my friend, welcome to the show
1: again. All right, appreciate you having me back on the uh, show, Scott. Hey. Looking forward to. Uh, sorry about that. I was, was going to say I was looking forward to uh, helping out uh, younger Armed force vets who are getting out and uh, looking to uh, do what you know some of what we did.
0: Awesome. Uh, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to have you back. Uh, Uh, we don't get to talk as much as I'd like to probably that's on me as much as uh, anybody else. But uh, you know, um, but you've been busy um, uh, uh, of late. Is that, is that not correct?
1: Yeah. um, I, I, I'm a instructor for the uh, Department of Homeland Security. I I teach a couple different skill sets and uh, yeah, run around working 50 hour weeks and uh, uh, fathering, Three young daughters and, husbanding, you know, husbanding a uh, demanding Argentine woman and uh, <laughs> driving through the snow. <laughs> That's they, awesome. You know, we've had some snowstorms lately. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, in fact, I think the last time you and I talked uh, a couple, of few days ago, um, it was uh, snowing. Um, in fact, the past couple of times I think we've talked, it's been snowing where you live. Yeah,
1: uh, it it's yeah it stopped today it's going to kick back in tomorrow we're going to get a couple more inches tomorrow and then and then the weekend's supposed to be nice
0: so have you had to be out there shoveling uh clearing the driveways and whatnot
1: shoveling for eight, you know multiple hours per day <laughs> yep for the last week
0: wow okay uh but and so i'm glad to hear you're busy so that's one of the things we can cover down on uh, a little bit later in this episode uh because you know a lot of guys um uh, You know, uh, I've talked with people and I say, you know, oddly enough, security is one of those things that here in America, the industry as a whole um, has just boomed um, as a result of what's going on. Um, But still, a lot of guys are still finding it difficult to to get in, especially if they're trying out for the first time. But so there's a lot of resources out there. So we'll cover down on that. But. For the folks that are listening, Dave, uh, people who uh, have listened to, in, to your episode uh, in the past, which is still one of the top episodes on this podcast, <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's in the top. It's, it's if you take away the trailers, oddly enough, one of the trailers is like, "What? What? What's so fascinating about the trailer, people?" But yours is in the top three if you take away the trailers, and it's like, "Wow!" So, um, so for the folks that are listening who don't know who you are, can you? Uh, go ahead and uh, detail uh, who you are and uh, kind of give them a little background, brush, broad brush stroke of uh, who and what you did uh, prior to contracting.
1: Yes, yeah, sir. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Dave Williams, uh, originally from South Miami, Florida. I joined our United States Marine Corps at the tender age of 18. I went in open contract, got placed in a supply MOS, uh, was attached to a reconnaissance unit for a couple of years, 31st MEU. Got out, went to college, degree in international business and global operations, O2, and that's pretty much when I sunk my teeth into the security industry, got hired by a company called Diplomatic Protection, and I started doing celebrity bodyguard work for, you know, people like P. Diddy and J. Lo and all kinds of people that I wouldn't work for again. Uh, <laughs> So, no, okay, so, so,
0: uh, all, all laughter and kidding aside, you've actually done some, uh, seriously high profile, uh, security work out there.
1: I have indeed, yes, sir. Um, you know, just kind of stumbled onto it too. It wasn't like, let's get this guy, he's a real stud. It was probably <laughs> like, oh, he's, he's available. <laughs>
0: okay uh but that's an uh, a good point again you know one of the things that we'll touch upon later but i mean but that was a network thing people that knew you that had worked with you trained with you and said this dude's straight he's squared away He knows what he's doing and and yeah he can do this job because he's got the training and the skills and everything else right
1: yeah i mean in all honesty the owner of diplomatic his name was eric and there was about 30 guys on staff and so when mr diddy's people called diplomatic they're like you know, I want you know two of your best guys. I it was I was blessed to be one of those guys that Eric thought was a, a good fit. Wow,
0: wow, yeah. Well, when it narrows down to just two of your best guys and you're on that list, that says a lot. Um, so uh, yeah, so that so okay, so you, you've you know, done a
1: lot of times, and people don't know this about kind of close protection, but uh, you know, there's a couple different ways you can go about it. I, I never wanted to follow you know britney spears around and make her eggs over medium and get her newspaper in the morning (laughs) i kind of wanted my own my own family so that that makes you become a supplemental you know kind of protection guy and so at that point you're you know you're waiting to travel or you're waiting for somebody to come into your city and um and then you're supplementing maybe what they have like in my case some of these celebrities that i protected they would have a security team you know from new york or from california but those guys couldn't carry in south florida so i would be the driver and the gun essentially for that movement and you know i would get a i would get exactly a, a movement for the day of what he expected to do i would run some advance work if i could if i had a second guy or if i had time i'd run advance work and then i would just move the principal from a to b and you know and 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 go from there and try to just be you know as, as good of a part, you know part of his team as i could you know i, I was kind of the outsider really
0: huh okay so, uh, and and that's an interesting uh, point, a uh, couple of them there, because uh, um, I've, I've told people, you know, uh, you know, when it's come up, it's like, you know, you don't understand that when we're talking that kind of work, you freak, like you just said, you frequently are traveling and it's not always in your local area. Um, and so uh, you might be gone if you want to make a career out of it just as frequently as you would be if you were working uh, overseas yeah
1: yeah that's absolutely correct
0: yeah and, and there's plenty of guys that do that um some for a short time and others you know for a long time but uh so uh so, so back up just a little bit so for the folks that are listening i mean you've got a you know uh i won't go into detail i'll let you um hash that up with people but you got a fairly impressive resume of people you've worked for both overseas and here in the states uh, so uh f- so for the folks that are listening uh Can you just give them a brief rundown or do you want me to do that? Uh, who, you know, some of the companies you've worked for overseas and, and here in the States, the ones that you want to mention that you can mention.
1: Yeah, sure. So, you know, after I got out of South Florida, I went to new Orleans and immediately worked for Blackwater, um, from Blackwater jumped into Black Hawk and then overseas to EODT, where I think you and I bumped into each other over in the sandbox. Yep. Um, when I came back from uh, CONUS, from Iraq, I worked for a company called TLW Jamaica, which was a created logistic hub of Amware logistics, um, basically protecting principals in, uh, in and out of the greater uh, Kingston area of Jamaica. Um, I ended up with Nexus Consulting Group, running counter piracy operations for the better part of four years, and, uh, and now I'm working for Triple Canopy as a, as a tactical instructor. Yeah, no,
0: and, and so your, your excuse me your recent position with uh, Triple Canopy is here in the states. Uh, it's a stateside based uh, gig, correct?
1: It is. It's a Department of Homeland Security uh, client. Uh, Department of Homeland Security hires a uh, a new security company every five years, and sometimes uses the the old one two or three cycles. But uh, Triple Canopy won the uh, contract last year. And Triple Canopy beefed up on their training uh, staff, and I was lucky to be chosen to uh, to run a couple of the different skill sets that they that we constantly train the individuals who, you know, do the federal law enforcement in these in, in these federal uh, buildings.
0: Okay, now are we talking security guards or or you know, and or and, and what are the credentials for these guys that are working?
1: <clears> these <throat> pretty much, you get hired on this contract if you're a former military and/or law enforcement. These guys are in a capacity of security, but it's kind of walking the line between security and law enforcement because they are they are dictating laws on federal facility. Um, They also have arrest powers on the federal facility. They're they're known as PSOs, which is a, you know, a protected security officer uh, within the federal jurisdiction.
0: Interesting. So, is that akin to, I've heard the term in the East Coast, there's some states out there that they call them constables, and they have, or special constable powers, where they have the powers of arrest. So, are you operating under, um, I'm assuming, uh, federal law enforcement regulations, or is is it civilian, or is it kind of a a mash of both?
1: Yeah, no, it's under under the federal jurisdiction, like on our badges, it reads, uh, fps which is federal protection service and has a red shield the red shield stands for you know i guess you can have you know uh you're expected to be armed and have arrest powers yeah
0: interesting okay so fps is involved in it uh, they're the they're the administrating end of that of uh security or, or protective services for the federal government correct
1: yeah. So FPS are are yeah FPS are building inspectors. They come into the buildings and they do the security assessments of the buildings. Figure out how many PSOs are going to be needed for the building and why. They'll need a big justification for all that. Uh, and then the guys that I basically ongoing train are um, are guys that protect these facilities with arrest powers in the facility.
0: Interesting. So so do so did you and the guys that are. And, and I presume maybe some gals that are working this, uh, on this contract, uh, do they have to go through a special course? And if so is, you know, for this stuff, or are they expected to know this before they came in or do they get, do they get all the training they need once they're hired?
1: Yeah, good question. So yeah, obviously that they, they prefer a military or uh, law enforcement background. You'll go through a school, uh, three or four weeks. It's, uh, pretty easy stuff. you just, you know, learning the real basics. And, uh, and then there's a qualification uh, that you'll shoot every five or six months. It's the uh, immigration customs enforcement force. Hmm. So you got to qualify bi yearly. You have to shoot a certain score and that keeps you on the contract. Also, you know, adhering to the weight and grooming standards and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, we have guys that, you know, kind of jump into this contract and leave pretty quickly. And then we have, We have one guy on contract that's been here since 1996, 25
0: years. You know, uh, I'm laughing, but it's so true. I used to get in arguments with guys about it, but, you know, you talk uh, for, we'll just call it the the fitness standard, um, you know, grooming and all that, you know, and, but, you know, I used to hear guys in the early days say, you know, you got to look the part to be the part. And I said, well, that's all fine and good, but if you can't be the part looking, (laughs) <laughs> you know ain't gonna do you nothing you know when the shit hits the fan um so you and you do you partake in the training so what kind of training standards for the people that are listening that might be interested in this what kind of training stand i mean uh, what do you do what's what's your specific job and what what other what forms of training uh, do you guys do you give these guys
1: a lot of the um a lot of the will have this machine uh a walkthrough metal detector, X-ray machine, and a handheld metal detector. All of that falls under National Weapon Detection Training Program, which is a program created by the feds, and the training is ongoing, at least for this contract in the state of Colorado. Every PSO has to go through ongoing NWDTP training every 60 days or less. As they get to the 61st day if they haven't seen me or, or the other instructor then they're literally not supposed to work a post hmm.
0: so now is yours is yours a on the ground kind of thing or is it is it mostly managerial I mean you know paint a picture for us are you out there you know on the range or are you in a classroom or are you inspecting and supervising
1: I go to each and every building uh that uh, of the pso that requires training so i make a sheet every week of who needs to be trained and then i go to those locations and do ongoing training based on what the pso has at their building they could have a walkthrough they can have an x-ray they can have a handheld metal detector or they can have nothing and if they have nothing we just talk in theory i ask them the eight ways that you know somebody can conceal a weapon and they've memorized some of those, so they give me answers like palming and indexing and jacket sag. And I said, okay, great. Now, you know, what are the four parts of the walkthrough metal detector? And they're supposed to kind of know those by memory. Huh. And if they don't, and then, then I fix it. You know, but but I mean, it's not really a past-tale thing. They're they're just getting ongoing training. I'm signing a sheet, and and they're moving on.
0: Right. So you got You got to keep the uh, you got to keep the edge sharp, right?
1: Yeah, that's it.
0: Yep. So, and, and so this contract, it, it's all federal properties, correct?
1: That is correct. All federal properties. Okay. So, um, how
0: does that, I mean, that sounds like a pretty cush gig. Uh, you know, um, I'm assuming you enjoy what you're doing.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, how would, uh, you know, for, for, People that are listening, again, so they might be interested, maybe they've thought about it, um, whether they want to work for on the contract that you're talking about specifically or in general, but same sort of thing. Uh, can you tell them uh, what what's the process? How would they go about it? I mean, you've already said you've got to be, or they prefer prior military and or law enforcement. So if they've got that, what else would a person need or should they have um and how would they go about doing it
1: okay so if we're talking to a veteran and or law enforcement personnel that hasn't um done any kind of security stuff in the last 3 years they'll need that as well so they don't you know they're not they're not um against the you know 68 year old uh vietnam you know background guy but they but they don't want you to sell cars 40 years after that And haven't touched any kind of security so they want you they want you to have some kind of security right behind you so they prefer military or law enforcement but if not you know you could have worked for you know the you know Denver police as a security guard in the front of their building for for some years and and get snagged that way Um, they're just looking for some some uh, upfront security experience Yeah. I mean, I would, I would tell anybody it's a, it's a really good job, uh, for a couple different people's. I mean, I would say it's, it's really good for the person who is already retired and is looking to kind of just kind of relax and, and ultimately find a, a slow moving gig within the federal, you know, uh, buildings. You know, some of them are a little bit more high speed. Some of them, you know, you'll see three or four people in a 10 hour ship. It's almost a nothing just kind of sit there. Um, but uh hang on i'm getting a little bit of background noise here let me put it away. Uh, sorry scott i lost my train of thought no that's okay so i was gonna
0: so i'm gonna okay so my, my question then is then so if somebody wanted to do this if they said yeah i think i've got what it takes do they what go through usa jobs opm contact triple canopy directly how do they do that
1: right so so the, the person or the vet Would want to find out in their state um, where their federal buildings are and which security company is in control of that. And then they would just, they would simply apply to it. So for us, if you moved to the state of Colorado, you would find out that all of our federal buildings are guarded by Triple Canopy. Hmm. You'd apply to Triple Canopy and, you know, you'd go through a screening process. And if you didn't have misdemeanors, felonies, had the, had the law enforcement and or military background or security in the last three years, then you'd have a good shot at getting on the contract.
0: Okay. So, you know, so uh, military veteran, law enforcement uh, veteran. So whether this, per- so does it matter if they were say field grade personnel or if they were office clerks, as long as they got security background?
1: Yeah, that's correct. I, MOS doesn't have too much to do with it. Uh, you know, the way that this contract kind of looks at things is, You know, if you were man or woman enough to to join the armed forces in any capacity and got out with an honorable discharge, then, you know, you're man enough to learn the skill sets of, uh, of doing this kind of work and, uh, and getting on.
0: Okay. So not a, not an awful lot, unlike, uh, a lot of the, uh, stipulations and requirements for overseas work, um, you know, have, have the basic building blocks that it takes and, uh, you know, and, and each job is different, but, uh. But speaking of overseas work, so now, so your your work, when you got in security, you started out working security in the States, right? When you got out of the military? yes, Yeah. Okay. Yes,
1: sir. Yep. When I got out of the military, and, and you know, I went straight to college and, uh, and you know, did that for, until I got a, uh, a business degree. And then, and then from there, moved to South Florida and did CONUS security work, you know, for, you know, for, uh. You know, doing executive protection stuff, doing bank suppression, doing diamond runs, that kind of thing.
0: Yep. Okay. So that's interesting. So you have a bachelor's degree. Did that help you, uh, I mean, with any of the work that you've done in security? I mean, was that like a – or was that just a bonus or did – I mean, you know – you know, if you're if you're applying for a management position, that that's frequently a, a prerequisite. But did you find that that, that, that helped you at all?
1: Um, in my, in, in it's a great question, Scott. I mean, in, in my road so far, I haven't really been able to uh, legitimize my four year <laughs> college degree. <laughs> I, I, I haven't really needed it, but it probably hasn't hurt. So I think it, that you know even. Choosing me for this, this NWDTP instructor position, let's just say there was two or three other candidates that were all probably equally as, as qualified as me, but, you know, management was like, oh, this guy's got a bachelor degree right after the Marine Corps. You know, I, I don't think it would have hurt me.
0: Gotcha. you. Right. Okay. So uh, it, it's it's a common uh, it's becoming kind of a common thing where, where you know guys are talking about those extra things that go into the decision pool when people are looking at resumes. It's like, well, which one do we pick? And uh, and one of the things is bachelor's degree or masters or you know a second or third foreign language, yada yada. There's there's lots of things. Um, so you know. So with that said, so has most of your work in the security industry, has it been mostly field grade on, you know, boots on the ground kind of stuff, or have you done, or has most of it been in supervisory management?
1: Uh, I would say it'd be an equal dose of both lots of boots on the ground. And then it usually turns out to be some kind of supervisory management position, which never catches me in an office. It's usually checking posts, training guys, you know, qualifying guys on the rifle range with black water, you know, pepper spraying guys or, or, uh, you know, over here doing NWDTP. I'm kind of still boots on the ground, but not like in a uniform. Like right now I'm talking to you and I'm with a couple of PSOs who are uniformed and I am in civilian attire. You know, I have uh, I have mountain pants on and a a mountain khaki long sleeve shirt.
0: Nice, um, so you know it's interesting. So you mentioned something about the the grooming standards. So like you know, full on man beards aren't allowed, correct?
1: I have a beard, Scott. Uh, <laughs> I have a shaving waiver. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, well, I, I asked triple canopy. If you're triple canopy, if you're listening, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> I, I would like to say something funny. I basically said to triple canopy shaving gives me razor bumps i really need to, to do you know so i got the right paperwork and i have a beard
0: <laughs> nice nice um yeah and i think that that the the shaving or the grooming standards uh, i think uh differ from company company and and federal agency you know depending on who is in charge and, and what their what their personal feelings are on the matter because um, i know i've worked uh, my share of those federal type and quasi-federal projects here in the states and for the longest time I had the, uh, you know, the man beard and uh, guys looked at me sideways and I was like, you know, but management never said anything. They didn't care. You know, the guys in the departments and the agencies. uh, So, (laughs) you know, I was, I was pretty much the only one that got away with it. I don't know why or how but (laughs) I did. Um, So, uh, uh, so now when you got done, so you finished up, Doing uh security here in the States and, and your first gig overseas was doing what, where and, and for who?
1: Yep, that that would be uh training Ugandans in uh Baghdad and Nazaria, Iraq with C O D T in two thousand
0: and nine. Okay. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And uh um so for the folks that are listening, what what was that experience like? I mean, that was, yeah, was your first time uh, paint a picture for the people that are listening, what was it like for, for, for you to, to get off the plane and, uh, and, and suddenly go, wow, <laughs> what was it like for you?
1: Yeah, no, great question. Um, I grew up, uh, and, and I didn't mention this in the first episode, but, uh, my dad was a stockbroker growing up. And so I guess, um, why I would bring that up is that I was very well traveled. I've been, uh, Currently, Scott, I've been to sixty-eight to seventy countries in my life. I've I've been all over the world. Wow! So landing in Iraq wasn't a big deal for me, except for now I was like actually getting paid, and it was a dangerous <laughs> place. I was like, oh wow! <laughs> I didn't have a Hawaiian shirt on, you know? Right,
0: right. Um, so were you? Was there any when you got there, or at any time while you were there on that contract? Was there anything that made you go go whoa? Um, wow, this is this is different than what I expected. I mean, or, or did you not have expectations when you went over there?
1: No, I had expectations, and I think my first wow was when I was qualling some of the Ugandans on the rifle range, and they couldn't hit the paper target from 25 yards with an AK-47. I was like, oh, we got some work to do. Wow.
0: <laughs> that is a big wow, isn't it? Um, yes, sir. Because <laughs> those are the guys at that time – um on uh specifically what we 're talking about where you were, they were the guys that were essentially tasked with uh the base security correct
1: correct yep, they were running the e e c p or the inter control point they are running the towers, and then they were running the q r f which is what I was in charge of, and that was a quick response force. somebody breaches the lines we're running the eight man Ugandan team plus my dumbass, and we're going and trying to make <laughs> arrests and stuff
0: so uh so was there so the guys that manned the towers versus the guys that worked the ecps and the guys that worked the qrf there was i remember there i won't i won't i'll let you uh tell but there was like a a pecking order or a hierarchy and typically the guys that were on the ert or qrf teams were were considered the pretty sharp guys was that your experience with them
1: yeah no i agree with you yeah i think the qrf guys were the cream of the crop and then I don't know how they picked between ECP and Towers, but those guys were probably equally – Effective, I, I would say that you know. Obviously, when you're ECP, you're you're kind of you're around those dogs, you know, the bomb sniffing dogs, and you got to have a little bit of customer service, like "Welcome to Nazaria, how may we help you?" You know, <laughs> 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 you know, In the towers, they're just like sitting there for twelve straight hours, looking at nothing. Right.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, and and for the folks who are listening, I mean, that's uh, you know. <laughs> It's, it's hard. I'll let you explain it, but I mean, it's try to explain to it. I mean, what, you know, what it's like in in that climate, in that part of the world and, and have to do what you just said for 12 hours a day, every day. I mean, just, you know, if you can explain. Yeah. I mean, that kind of work.
1: Yeah. That kind of work is not for everybody. I remember in July, we had some black flag days. It was 130 to 140 degrees outside. So even though we make fun of the Ugandans and they couldn't hit paper targets at twenty five yards, the guys were tough. You know, they could sleep on the floor, they could eat one meal a day, they can drink just forty ounces of water and, and operate all day. I mean, you know, which is not like most, you know, first world people that we know. I mean, they're they were tough people.
0: Right. Right. Um, yeah, we, we uh yeah, there's plenty of jokes and 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 whatnot going around but no i think bottom line i think you hit it right there on the head uh and i now did these guys i, I gotta ask you uh, from as you recall did they take pretty well to the training and the instruction that you, that you guys gave them
1: eventually yeah you know i think uh, you know uh, Everybody was a little bit different. Some people, you know, some of the studs or, or the QRF uh, candidates, you know, <laughs> picked it up a little quicker. Uh, but, uh, you know, and some of the guys were a little bit slower. Uh, you know, there wasn't much of a lang- language barrier. In fact, most of the Ugandans used to speak uh, Swahili, their their local, uh, you know, uh, village language, maybe the village next to them, and really good English. Hmm. So they were like four languages, you know. They came in with like four languages. They were highly intelligent, but to get the goofiness off of them and to get into a tier one or tier two, you know, shooting mindset and platform and and just getting their body mechanics, right. Yeah. it, It took longer for some than others for sure. But You know, they either got it down or they got flown back to Kampala. That was the bottom line.
0: Right. You know, that's a that's a that's an interesting and good point you made, though, um, about uh, the average intelligence of of the guys that were working there that were contracted uh, from from the various countries of Africa. Um, A lot of them were. uh, And I said the same thing about a lot of people, a lot of the Iraqis and Afghans. uh, They may not have been highly educated, but that didn't mean they weren't smart. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know um, right they had a lot of life uh education and and they pick they pick things up pretty quick if they want to right
1: yeah no no doubt they yeah they i mean you know, in africa they go through the british school so they speak proper english a lot of these guys that get to iraq have to have gone through a war in africa so a lot of these guys used to go up to right above uganda sudan and you know they were fighting in the Sudan wars, and it wasn't uncommon to see an AK-47 bullet hole in one of these guys' legs. Wow! And uh, yeah, they're tough guys, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, but and you said the goofiness, but so where I'm going with that is is that some to a lot of them, um, if they got to know you and they liked you, they had a pretty good sense of humor too, didn't they?
1: Absolutely, yeah. That you know they anything too personally, never never really got mad at the expats and stuff, and you know are. American, you know, uh, humor could be you know offensive to to <laughs> many around the world. And, right? Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was a good. <laughs> it was it was good. Yeah, I never had any problems with Ugandans, and I don't remember any of the other ten or eleven expats that I was with at Camp Theater having any big problems with Ugandans.
0: Right. Well, and and that's I think that's a great point. There is that uh, you know I I remember hearing guys, and I, I had a few run-ins, but it was it, but they had been. Uh, for lack of a better term, mistreated uh, by, by other guys. And so it was kind of like learning the new thing with the new guy. But um, you know, as time went on, we heard a little bit more of that stuff. But I think a lot of it boils right down to you and me and how we interact and, and talk and treat them, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and and it's probably no different than what you have experienced here in the states and what and what what you're doing now, right? I mean, you know, if you come on as a you know full fledged uh, you know bonerhead kind of guy, uh, you're probably going to meet the same results, right? But if you're if you're if you're pretty squared away and you're talking to these guys respectfully, and uh, you're probably going to get a lot further. So probably the same thing with what you're doing now, right?
1: Always, that's that's correct. You know, it's biblical. Treat every man, you know, you know, the way you'd want to be treated. Uh, love thy neighbor, all that stuff. So take the chip, throw it way off of your shoulder, come in there with a nice, humble attitude, and go in there to teach somebody something or learn something without any egos. It's, uh, it's easier said than done, but um, it, 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 it makes the missions way smoother when you're able to do that
0: oh yeah uh con- yeah considerably so um so now so you finished up so you're in, in Nazarea so for the folks that are listening uh Nazarea uh the Nazarea region and, and the other uh towns and cities that are out there can you tell them wh- that's in southern Iraq right
1: yes sir that was in the south right, you know not too far from where the uh Tigris and Euphrates were and and all that kind of stuff. Their famous building that sits in the middle of the, the desert there wasn't too far from Adar and Cedar. It's uh, yep, it's, it's some hours south of uh, Baghdad,
0: right? And and Nazaria, uh, the same Nazaria, like a uh, of, of biblical fame, correct?
1: Yep, that that is correct.
0: Yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting area. Um, and that was a big base too. Uh, uh that 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 you were on. Um, how long, you know, I, rem- I I don't want to go. How long would it take you if you were in a vehicle to circumnavigate the perimeter of that base in a vehicle going by the dictated speed limit?
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> since you mentioned dictated speed limit, I would only have to speculate because I don't think we ever went to speed limit on Route Tampa. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: that's funny. Uh, yeah. Uh, I- I'm trying to. I don't remember what it was, but there was some guy that went around. And he he was bragging about how quick he did it, and I remember one day saying, "I think I can beat that," and I did. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was just curious, but it, I was surprised how long it took. I was like, "Holy crap! This thing is bigger than I thought." Um, and you see, yeah, some- I, would,
1: I would I would say once we left the gate of Cedar and we got on Route Tampa, if we didn't have to stop for any camels or if there wasn't any huge windstorms. We could probably get around all of Camp Cedar in a half hour by vehicle, right. which is you know it's sizable. Adder is probably an hour or more.
0: Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So so we're talking large large facilities here. So uh, and, and so there were a lot of people there, uh, tasked uh, with the various forms of security. Uh, so uh, if I may, uh, what was there a most interesting or most memorable moment there?
1: Oh, man. Uh, most interesting. Or most moment, memorable that you care uh, to share? <laughs> yeah, so I was uh, I was in charge of getting all the Ugandans together for a, a, or a piss test, and I was attached to the doc, who I still hunt with to this day, going after deer and elk every year. Um, hmm. He lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico, four or five hours from my south. And, uh, and so we handed the Ugandans a cup, and one Ugandan came back, and he didn't pee in the cup. He brought poop in the cup. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 he pooped in the pee cup. Oh. And me and Doc couldn't stop laughing.
0: Oh, my goodness. Oh, goodness. Now, Doc, are we talking Doc Hesh, Or is this a different Doc? You still there, Scott? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, no, uh, so I don't know if you heard that. Are we talking the same Doc Hesh? The the guy, the Doc that, that was there with you? Are you hearing me? Hello, Dave? Still there? Yeah, I'm still here, man. Can you hear me? I hear you fine.
1: Okay, good. Okay, I would say uh, one more, uh, way different than that first one, uh, would be uh, the Ugandans and I were doing some QRF stuff, got a call from the operations center uh, saying that there was a couple Bedouins that have snuck over the fence line to steal a five-ton army tire. We caught them in the middle of stealing the tire, captured them, zip-tied them, and uh, turned them into the army.
0: For, st- uh, for, for trying to steal the tires?
1: Trying to steal the tires.
0: Wow. Well, you know, I seem to recall that being an issue when when I was there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that wow. wasn't the... I mean, they tried to steal everything, right? I mean, it wasn't just the tires. But, that, but for some reason, tires were a big thing, and, and I'm not sure why. Um,
1: yeah. I never found out why either. But, yeah, they like tires.
0: Yeah. And, and now, so you... Let me... Uh, so... I'm, I'm assuming they came through the fence and you would drive the perimeter and you would see where they cut it and try to put it back together so you wouldn't see it, right? Where yeah, they had, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're pretty crafty, um, you know, and trying to cover up their yeah, footprints. Crafty.
1: They, they They weren't even wearing any shoes. They're so fast.
0: Right? Oh, man. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so you're working for EODT um, at that point. Uh, so uh, that that uh, came to that came to an end. Uh, so what what came next?
1: Next was Jamaica. Um, the principal and I'll leave his name out, but I've been working for him off and on for the last fifteen years. He's well to do and and lives between Colorado and Florida, huh. placed in each of those two states. And uh, he had a huge logistic contract in. Spanish town slash Kingston, Jamaica, and wanted me to kind of head up a, a two-fold security operation. One was to protect the two American CEOs that were going to be working in Jamaica, and the other thing was to run a Jamaican security company in the largest logistic warehouse in the Caribbean. Mm. So I had to hire a Jamaican security company and kind of manage that, which was an absolute nightmare.
0: Really? So totally different mindset in way of doing things than what you were used to there in Iraq.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I was unarmed for nine months of the 15. I had to use bluff techniques when moving out of vehicles, pretending like I was touching a weapon that didn't exist. Hmm. <laughs> wow. Jamaica's kind of rough on expats getting weapons over there. And, you know, the you think to yourself, oh, I have a top secret clearance or secret clearance. That hurts you even worse. The more clearances you have, the longer it'll take. Really?
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. So now, uh, that okay, so, and that's an interesting uh, point. So for guys that are, you know, uh, thinking about working outside the U.S., like in some of these island nations out there, um, getting a license or permit for weapons is, is not always an easy thing. And sometimes it may not even happen. Is that right? Yeah,
1: that's right. So, you know... Uh, to to give advice to those who are thinking about doing stuff like that, make liaison with the local law enforcement, Um, you know, either become a good driver in the place you're in or get a good driver to uh, know the roads, know the routes, know all the kind of road rules to where you're operating. Um, And you you need to basically talk to those principles that you're protecting. Like I laid down the law day one, I met, you know, two different guys. They were both, 15 years older than me, I said, listen, guys, my job is to get you from our home to the logistic warehouse Monday through Friday and get you from the logistic warehouse to home Monday through Friday and also to protect our home while we're sleeping and that kind of thing. I will not protect you when you decide that you want to go, you know, dancing in Kingston on Thursday night. You're on your own.
0: Okay, so so the, so uh, so nightlife and entertainment for you was a no go.
1: That's right. Yeah, I did zero clubbing and zero bars. And luckily for me, that both guys I was protecting weren't big nightlife guys. So it was it was kind of a moot point. But had it had it not been, I would have stood firm and not put myself in harm's way, especially without a weapon.
0: Okay, so, and, and that was going to be my next question. And, and the reason for that was because you were unarmed. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. And, you know, I was a one-man show. I didn't have a team.
0: Okay. Yeah, oh, that makes a huge difference. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, well, you know, and th- what's that term? Uh, the, the, the trouble
1: if I, you know, to, to go into some of these rough, rough uh, places and, uh, and just be by myself with a weapon, you know, then, you know, maybe I have more of a chance of, of using it you know, and, and, uh, so I, I didn't see a real big need for that. So I just let those guys know that if they were going to, you know, if they were partiers, they kind to had a party on their own. Right. Okay. And, uh, the owner, you know, that hired me was very happy about that and you know, neither principal gave me any pushback.
0: Nice. Okay. And you said, so you, you still got a relationship with these guys to this day.
1: As far as a uh, relationship with the uh, guys that protected, there was a, uh, there was two guys, predominantly, that I protected for my 15 months I was in Jamaica. Um, I, st- I, I am still in full contact with one of them. The other one kind of fell off the map. Definitely not enemies. Uh, he probably sends me a happy birthday every, you know, end of July. Hmm. But um, we, uh, we didn't stay as tight as the main guy, um, who I talked to probably monthly. He's still a big logistic guy. And he operates at, like the Georgia, Carolina areas.
0: Hmm. Wow. Okay. Uh, so, maintaining those uh, relationships with with those people when when they when they happen, I mean that's that's huge. That's almost one of the one of the golden keys in the industry, is it not?
1: Absolutely. You know, we teach. We taught each other a lot, you know. During Jamaica, it was a really discovery, you know, area for both of us. I mean, I'd never lived in the Caribbean unsupervised, if you will, and you know, these guys didn't know what to expect, didn't know how dangerous or or safe it was going to be. You know, we 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 had a five or six bedroom house on the beach rented for us, and we're all kind of living together, and it was you know kind of like bachelor pad rules, you know, with with the fact that you know there was. Uh, we didn't really know each other. I mean, we just kind of kind of got thrown in the same house. I mean, I guess that makes shows about that now, you know, all kinds of shows (laughs) where people just get thrown in, you know, on top of each other and you have to kind of make do, but you know, this is real life and this is, uh, Jamaica and it's not, it's not Montego Bay or, or Negril. It's, it's real Jamaica. And you, you know, you just have to kind of figure things out as you go. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of learning curve and, uh, we definitely, you know, uh, made a couple wrong turns, but for the most part of it, was, it was pretty smooth.
0: Nice. Um, so that brings up uh, some important points, and you had mentioned that earlier uh, when we were talking about, um, you know, helping guys out that are that are just starting in the business or want to get in the business or are considering it. So it, it, let's turn to that in just a moment. Uh, but before we do that. Um, uh, because you've been doing this for a while and you've got some really good experiences both overseas and here in the States. Um, so if we can just briefly uh, touch upon uh, some of your other stuff that you've done um, before we jump into uh, uh, di- you know, discussing those things that we uh, talked about earlier uh, for the guys that, that are thinking about the, the industry.
1: Absolutely. And as far as training is concerned, you can never really get too much training um you know driving courses are excellent public speaking courses are excellent um you know in the marine corps we learned to shoot move and communicate you know uh let's take the shooting out of the equation because that's you know last second stuff and things have gone wrong if you have to get into a shootout so i mean you know communication i'd say out of the list of those three shooting moving and communicating communication is absolutely number one i don't know how to yourself you got to understand what the mission is going to be you got to be able to verbalize what you're thinking and why you're thinking it and why you, you should make that kind of movement so communication's huge driving schools are great um keeping a physical fitness is awesome because i mean nobody wants a, a fat bodyguard so you, know, <laughs> you need to, to kind of look the part
0: yeah yeah, I, that's that's funny because I I think we had talked about that a couple times in the past about uh, looking the part is great, but if you can't fill the part, you got a problem. But what you just said, I mean, that is that 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 does make a big difference, especially the first impression when you first meet them, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, and and being able to deter bad things because you know bad bad people are watching you. So if you look like you know what you're doing, you get out of the vehicle and you you're kind of, you know, maybe, you know, indexing or, you know, kind of touching your your waist and looking like you're securing a weapon and you got your eyes set a certain way and you're opening the door a certain way and, and, and you're nice and, you know, strong physically. I just think all of those things are helpful. They, they can't be hurtful. They're helpful. Right. So, you know, they're, they're probably going to try to find another team, you know, that looks a little more vulnerable.
0: Well, yeah, and that and that makes a lot of sense because uh, kind of like uh, we used to talk about uh, years ago uh, and still gets talked about, but uh, the soft target syndrome, right? I mean, uh, most criminals, terrorists, they're not, they're, they don't want to go through extreme effort uh, unless they're on a suicide mission. Um, they're looking for a soft target, right? So, I mean, if you look like a hard target and you're doing everything right, you're probably that much closer to not having to do the deed. Correct.
1: That's, that's correct. Seth. I mean, truer words have never been spoken. I'll give you a really good type specific example that everybody can relate to. Well, everybody over 25 anyway, um, we're, we talking about the, uh, the Oklahoma city bombing, the Oklahoma city bomber. I, I forget his name. Uh,
0: he oh, yeah. came to
1: Colorado first. What, what was his name?
0: Uh, man, uh, God, it's right on the tip. I thought I thought I had it. Um, uh, uh, it it'll McVay, come to me. Right? Go ahead. Timothy go ahead. Yeah, yes. Yes. Timothy McVeigh. Yes. Yes.
1: He, t- he came to Colorado first, studied all our federal buildings, the same federal buildings that I'm, you know, now paid to basically train people who are manning all these buildings. Hmm. Uh, he came to Colorado. He sat outside all our federal buildings and he saw lots of federal law enforcement. He saw the PSOs making their rounds, checking the doors, looking for, you know, odd things, looking for suspicious packages, uh, you know, just really doing their diligence well. And so Timothy McVeigh basically said, OK, well, Colorado's not a good state to blow up buildings. Let me go to Oklahoma. And He did the same thing in Oklahoma, did not find the guard force to be as fierce. And, you know, and then the, the result was unfortunately what everybody saw, you know, those years ago.
0: Interesting. You know that, I mean that is very interesting. I, I mean that sincerely, but but that does hearken to the point that that we that you that we just made, and that um, I don't know about you, but I sometimes had uh, gotten some pretty ugly arguments with guys about when it's like you know when they were getting lackadaisical. It's like <laughs> you can't, man, you can't get lackadaisical. You can't let your guard down, and you you know you got to keep that routine. You talked about physical fitness. I mean, just all the all the things that go into this profession. If you're serious about it, you you just got to stay diligent about it and, and just do it right.
1: Yes, sir. That is that is absolutely correct. I, I haven't I haven't been uh, cocky at all during any of our uh, podcast sessions, but I will say with the certainty that I'm very very physically fit to this day, and I'm always ready for what's coming. So for me, it's a it's a big big value for me to always train i train hard six days a week
0: Hmm. wow and that's and that and that's that's important and 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 it cannot be overstated i think is the uh it's kind of um whether it's your firearms or your defensive tactics uh or your physical fitness um the term that that people are starting to toss around again is fighting fit You've got to be, Hey, you might be fit, but are you fighting fit? And that's a big difference. And so that, that five, six days a week is really pretty much what it takes. So that that body is, is ready to go. Because if you take three or four days off (laughs) in between sessions, uh, you're not going to be fighting fit, are you? I mean, you're just not going to have that stamina. And that's right. That's,
1: that's an excellent point to bring up, you know, so when we're talking physically fit for all the the younger guys there, we're not talking about slugging weights every single day and not doing anything else. You have to be able to, you know, possibly you know run a little bit, you know, do some sprint work, some swimming, uh, you know, have a well balanced fitness regimen, hit the bag a little bit, so your you know uh, flexibility is big, especially as you get older. Me and Scott are on the you know on the older side, I guess. For, for <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, go ahead and say it, man. I know you want to. <laughs> no, no,
1: don't worry.
0: <laughs> All right, but yeah, no, but I, yeah, that is that is huge, and it cannot be overstated. Because um, I mean, I mean, I love it when I hear somebody like you say that. Because uh, there's there's a guy I know, um, and he and I haven't talked in a time, but we do occasionally reach out to each other. But he he was uh, he was one of the few guys dave that was you know just i mean he 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 was uh kind of like you and me in that you know polite you know friendly amicable but he he was honest he was always direct and honest and he tried uh, you know to go around the bush beat around the bush three times with me and then the fourth time when we met is like dude you need to get fighting fit <laughs> and yep. uh you know and and, and uh You know, I thought about it. I went home and I took an honest look. It took me a few days and I went, wow, I think he's right. (laughs) You know, I guess what I'm, the point I'm trying to make, Dave, is that it's easy. I mean, it is so easy for someone to fool themselves into thinking that they are whatever they are. You got to take a good, hard, open eyes, honest look at yourself in whatever aspect you're, you're, you're talking about in order to... To, realize, to know whether you truly are or are not. And if you're not, you got to be honest enough and then tell yourself, and then you just got to buckle down and do what it takes. Because if you're not willing to do that, then you got to stop it because you're not doing yourself or the person you may be protecting. You're not doing anybody any favors by, by not doing it. So I don't think it can be overstated.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, as important as that is, you know, maybe applying the the certain type of art martial arts or boxing or wrestling or whatever skill set you're going to be encountering you you're going to need to you're going to need to really think hard about uh about how you're going to be applying it i mean if, uh, let's just give you a, an example you're um you're moving a principal from point a to point b out of a building and into a vehicle so from a to b and you're a third degree black belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu which means you know most of your fighting Capabilities are going to be on the floor. I mean, that, the floor is the last place you're going to want to be when you're moving a principal. Right. You know, you're going to you're going to need to you're going to need to learn how, while moving and while moving a principal forward, and in a you know kind of in a defensive posture, you're going to be able to have to pressure point somebody or do a quick lock and release as you're moving the principal towards that vehicle and just keep on rolling, and you know, and not get to the ground. So, right. so you know there's, there's certain arts that are going to be better than others you know maybe a little bit of boxing a little bit of kung fu a little bit of you know, wing chung with some of those quick little strikes to some of the pressure points just to create some space and keep moving that principle forward once you get the principle in the car if you need to turn around and you know deal with some business then you can do that but I mean the, the primary goal and most of these movements is getting your astute businessman into the vehicle safely and you know unharmed so that's
0: right well yeah and the term heard. that uh, people have probably heard that w- that we sometimes bring up is getting off the x and that's more right. than just you know sidestepping or making a few moves that we're talking about you know and, and you bring up an important point you don't want to it and you talked about planning and mission planning and, and all the advanced work and everything that goes into every mission uh, but you don't you're doing that because you don't want to get into a, um, a firefight you don't want to get into a hand-to-hand struggle you want to avoid that as much as you can because that not only potentially could take you or one of the other teammates out even if it's just for a temporary period of time but it also puts your principal or the people you're protecting potentially in jeopardy, and, and let's be honest, most of them don't want to see that. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to see it. That you know all that loud noise and and everything that goes on with it. Uh, so you're you're doing everything you can to avoid that. Um, and I think one of the terms we use is uh, conflict avoidance, uh, but call it whatever you want. But that's what we're trying to do. I mean, it, that is an important an integral part of the job, is it not?
1: yes yes that is uh, that is correct and all everything you brought up is exactly accurate that's 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 all right
0: so yeah so but but and so people would say well then why do you got to worry about all the other hard skills um because you because if it happens if it happens you got to be ready right that's right okay so so um so with some so what are some of the you, you mentioned a uh a, one of them in particular you me, you mentioned a few but one you mentioned was your fighting style whether it's a single fighting style or conglomeration of them what are other some other hard skills that you think are important for uh, somebody who's you know in the business thinking about getting in the business or um is considering it yeah
1: first and foremost would be uh a term that some of us know as verbal judo, uh, being able to talk your way out and around problems. I understand that, sir. I understand you're um, angry, but, and then you have another solution for his anger.
0: Okay. Yeah, that yeah. Uh, And we're not talking necessarily the gift of gab, because uh, you don't really want to sit there and have a 15-minute conversation with the guy if you can help it, right? Right. So, um, yeah, I've always kept mine very short, very, I mean, just like tersely succinct, <laughs> you know? Um, yep. I mean, I'm, I'm all business and I do, and I do very little talking and, uh, and, uh, you know, you, you can draw what you will from that, but it's like, you know, I'm not there to talk, dude. <laughs> I mean, I'll try to talk right. this. I'll try to talk us out of this. I'll try to talk this down, but I'm not here to talk and have a discussion, <laughs> you know? Right um and and that's now speaking of which so talking so what kinds of things are those the sorts of things what kind of discussions what are the types of things you talk about with with people that you're going to protect i mean do you tell them about these sorts of things or do or do you only talk about it when it comes up or if it happens
1: yeah, I, think, I don't think there's one really good answer for that question, only because every principal is so different and their needs are so different. Um, you know, a lot of principals want you to com- completely disappear and be, left, you know, blocks away, just kind of watching from a distance. Some want you right on top. Um, and then there's different venues they're going to be doing, and so you just got to be able to wear a bunch of different hats. Um, man, it's, it's so hard to give you one really good answer for that.
0: Okay. Um, so think about that and, and, and maybe give us um, several example answers. But uh, while, you, it, it, while you think about that, though, so are these the types of discussions you have had with a principal? Hey, you know, when, when we go here on our, on our way, if this should happen, that should happen. Um, you know, I mean, have you, have you had those what if scenario discussions with these people? Is that something you think you should? Yeah,
1: Yeah, I would say not only with the principal, but, you know, sometimes with the principal's right-hand man or, you know, somebody who kind of is the caretaker for the principal for a lot of their business venues. So I'll talk to them and kind of just get a layout of what the expectation is, and then I'll lay out what my expectation is, and we'll just try to find some middle ground, um, you know, without obviously bending too much – for the for the you know for safety reasons, really. I mean, it's got to kind of be my way, uh, you know, for, for me and my team to operate to operate properly. And you know, I'll give a little bend if needs be and change you know tactics a little bit, even if it makes me a slight bit uncomfortable. Uh, as long as I know I can accomplish the mission with myself or with a small team, and you know, like I said before, communication. It's just paramount with stuff like that, um, whoever you're talking to. Okay,
0: so when you say communication, <clears throat> for clarification for people that, that are that are listening that, that may or may not have a question about that, but for clarification, when we say talking and communication, we're not talking about, say, for example, you're, you're um, en route from point A to point B in the vehicle. We're not talking about sitting there and having a, an ongoing conversation with the person necessarily. We're just talking about communicating um intentions and and you know things that are important right material important stuff
1: right you know and and really just an expectation um you know what they expect and then what kind of what we expect as protection guys so we can protect properly right just hope that you know that we meet their expectations and they meet ours and sometimes there's You know, from time to time, there's failures, but for the most part, you know, that stuff usually is successful.
0: Yeah. So speaking of, okay, so speaking of which, can you provide, just picking a random example of a success, and then if you care to, a random example of a failure with as little or as much detail as you care to provide?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I can do it all with the same exact principle. I, I protected the... Prince of uh, Middle Eastern country at the tail end of 2014 in London, England. I was the second guy. So the first protection guy was his normal guy. And they wanted an advanced guy, a guy that can run advanced work. And so I, I worked with this guy, you know, during the Blackwater days. And so he called me to London, England, flew me in. We did the little uh, phone chip and the, and the phone thing for communications. We didn't have any radios sort or of anything. And my job was to get, you know, I got an itinerary every morning. I would figure out where this guy was going and I'd go into these places and I would secure tables and I would interview who was going to be serving my principal, you know, make sure that they weren't freaking felons. And, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I got a nice tip at the end of the 12 or 13 day operation. We stayed at a thousand dollar a night hotel. The guy seemed to like me. I did my job properly. Um, So he told my guy, uh, you know, the guy that hired me for the job, he was like, I really like that guy. He's sharp. But five minutes later says, I don't really want him for another job. I don't really like him. And the guy's like, but you just told me five minutes ago that you you liked him and he did a good job. And he's like, yeah, no, I don't really want him on another job with me. And so (laughs) my friend called me and told me that. And I go, wow, that's super foggy. And I'm counting the hits in his... Middle Eastern envelope here, which is two thousand u s dollars you know in wow. Arabic writing and, uh, yeah. so you know, I guess <laughs> I know that sounds a little confusing, but <laughs> it's kind of like protection is confusing
0: <laughs> it, well it, it can be, yeah, but you know that's interesting because <laughs> you know, obviously we don't always like the people that we don't always like the people that we're working for and protecting, and conversely, they probably don't always like us but um and and they may not like you said they may not want you to stick around or or to come back and it's and it's nothing to do professionally it's just a personal thing just for whatever reason maybe they saw you picking your nose and they said that's it i don't want them on my team anymore i mean who knows um i'm not saying you picked your nose i don't know i'm just but i'm just yeah but i mean but stuff like that happens um uh you know, so and and you just move on. So what? Um, so that so you're calling that an example of a failure?
1: Yeah. Well, it was a success in a way because I got a nice tip out of it. And that's a Good point during <laughs> sure, the job, but I guess it was a failure because he didn't really want me in any other jobs. I never saw the principal except when I operated for him at night, and even when I operated for him, he never saw me. I would be, you know, steps ahead of him. I already cleaned the building, I'm already making my rounds, and I'm blocks away just kind of watching him. Hmm. The only other time he ever saw me was in the gym of the hotel. I'd be working out, and, you know, I did some strange workouts. I guess, you know, a couple times he caught me standing on my head with no shoes on or something, or, you know, <laughs> doing some shoulder push-ups. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I remember back in 2014 to 15, like beating my brain on why he wouldn't like me. Right. The only thing I can come up with is maybe I should wear my shoes in the
0: gym. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's and but you know, and that's an important thing that you bring up that maybe a lot of people haven't picked up on is that oftentimes you you just won't know, and it can and it can be the littlest, smallest thing, and you and if you ever do find out, you go, "What? Really?"
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I was shocked. I wanted answers. You know, I, I I drilled my guy afterwards. I said, like, "Come on, man, You've got to give me something." He's like, "Oh." Just said at the end, you know,
0: that you did a good job, but he didn't really like you. Like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So. So that. Yeah. And that's just one of those personal things. Whatever it was, the way you walked, your clothing. Yes. Yeah, just maybe it was something in the gym. Yeah. Interesting. Um. So what's what's a what's an uh uh a random example of a uh, success that that you had that uh, and, and why was it a success? <laughs>
1: um. Yeah. Hmm. Success. Okay. So yeah, so the Jamaica thing, before anybody got on the island, my, my challenge at the tail end of uh, 2010 was to basically recon the island, set us up with housing, find us a driver, and what wasn't told to me, but what I did anyway, was make liaison with the local law enforcement. I've I found us a brilliant house with a great driver and made a really good liaison with the local law enforcement who gave me some kind of special ID card, which, like, entitled me to, I don't know, making certain movements that, I guess, tourists couldn't make and, Hmm. you know, doing a couple different little special things, like a special officer, if you will, uh, in Jamaica. Um, I did all of that before my principals came. And so that really helped out the 15 months in on the island was you know doing doing kind of those those preliminary things
0: right okay you know and and that's uh now have you had to have conversations with 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 these people anybody that you've worked for and say look you know i understand you got business and, and you're on vacation or whatever you're doing and, and you want to, and w- during your downtime you want to have fun but and that's fine. You know, I, I'm not going to tell you that you can't, but, you know, we're not um, in the tourist area. Um, and even in the tourist area, especially in the bigger places, sometimes that's where these guys are. So I need you to really be cognizant and think about this. Um, I mean, do you have those conversations with them? And just say, like, like where you were there in Jamaica uh, or, was, or did the principal already know this and, and, and they were relieved to hear that you were on board with them?
1: Yes, as as far as Jamaica, like I said, I did that reconnaissance on my own for those couple weeks. And then as the principals started to come in, uh, at first we stayed in hotels and there wasn't, uh, you know, any kind of big discussions. We basically, from the hotel, we would eat in the restaurant of the hotel. We would lounge by the pool and there wasn't really a lot of movements. As soon as we got housing and, and I knew we were kind of like three bachelors, if you will, I, I felt obligated and nobody had to tell me to do it. I just felt obligated to take these two gentlemen who were both slightly older than me, you know, 10 to 15 years older than me and just kind of let them know what I expected as uh, you know, as a protection guy. Like if I'm going to protect you properly, I'm going to need you to fall into this bubble.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, and, 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 you know, and some, sometimes, uh, some people will let you get away with that and other times uh they won't uh they don't want to hear it 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 ain't going to happen but you're saying that was a success because they were good now so what what have you done what do you do when for whatever reason the principal or the client disagrees and they say hey you know that's great but that's why i hired you you know keep up or go somewhere else do you ever have anything like that
1: Scott,
0: you, uh, you, you cut out, so I didn't hear the question. Oh, okay. Uh, so, have you, do, do you have, have you had experiences where you're talking with the principal or the client, one of the reps, whoever, and they're saying, well, that's great, I appreciate your concern, but that's why I'm paying you, and that's why I hired you, so, you know, you do your job and don't worry about what I do, either keep up or go somewhere else. Have you ever had anything like that? Does it happen?
1: Yeah. You still with me?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I hear you fine, man. You don't hear me.
1: Okay. Yeah. No, you, you cut out, but I think I got your question. I think you, you're asking, um, because, you know, some of these, uh, you know, these principals are paying, uh, and if they're not paying, you know, they know who's paying and they think, you know, they can kind of, you know, dictate the pace a little bit and they disobey my request. What would happen? Um, I'll be honest. That's, that's never happened. Um, you know, in in my time, and maybe I haven't protected as many people as I should for that to happen, but, you know, I've I've, I've probably had my share of protection gigs, and I've never had a principal, you know, kind of go out of his way to go outside of the bubble that we discuss.
0: Wow. Never. Wow. That's that's, that's great. Um, You know, and I'm going to say maybe I've been lucky, too. I mean, I've had them push the envelope and and try, but they've never actually done it. (laughs) Um, I, maybe we're both just lucky somebody that I know would say well then you're not trying hard enough Scott <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, so so for the guys that are and the gals that that are thinking about getting into the industry or maybe they're in the industry and they're starting out um, or they're still learning um, or maybe for the people that that are still looking what kind of advice or what suggestions would you give For them to you know how how would how would you recommend them going out and finding finding something different finding something better finding something bigger i mean what are the resources what have you done that works for you and and what would you suggest people do
1: um again you, you you were kind of cutting out on some of the questions i got uh i got i think i got some of it um Yeah, moving forward to people that are trying to get into this industry, um, I think if you want your opinion, your tactical opinion to be heard, Lima Charlie, loud and clear, um, you're going to need to definitely sound like you know what you're talking about. Give site-specific reasons and examples of why you think you should go in that direction. Um, And really have a non-negotiating attitude when it comes to important things like what direction you're going to be moving a vehicle or or why you're going to be doing you know you know x y and z uh stuff you're going to really just be letting these principles know you know you are a master of your domain in you know painting buildings but this is what i do for a living so this is how we're going to have to conduct ourselves in order to be safe and this is why
0: Right. Okay. So now what about the resources, uh, places to look, people to talk to, and the process of, of going about it? What, what, what can you say to people, you know, uh, words of encouragement on, on how to go about getting that job or, or being a, becoming a member of whatever, um, you know, or, or wanting to uh, prolong their stay in the uh, security industry?
1: What oh, man, that that has all kinds of yeah that has all kinds of
0: uh. <laughs> well, I mean, just, just some examples of things that you might recommend. You know, uh, these worked for me. These are the things that, that other guys have talked about that seem to work pretty well. You know, just you know, you know, places you know, places to look, places to go, um, just anything like that. That you know, pointers for for people that are thinking about it. Things that have worked for you, for example.
1: Yep. Lo- local law enforcement is a good, uh, start. So wherever you're going to be operating, um, if you're going to be armed and if you're going to be, you know, uh, out and about, you're going to probably want to make liaison with local law enforcement, kind of let them know what you're doing in their state, city, or country. And, uh, be as, you know, be as transparent as you can without, you know, giving away the whole farm on, on that kind of thing. Um, Know uh, know the roads and routes really well. Know alternative roads and roads and routes. Um, just uh, really kind of know where your P's and Q's are as far as uh, directions. Like I said, law enforcement. I'm trying to think. Uh, you just got. You need to know the answers for everything if you're going to be there for a longer period of time. Who's going to be fixing your car? you know, who's going to be doing the oil changes that's, you know, I mean, you don't want, you know, some, some guy, you know, uh, with bad intentions to, to touch your car, cut your brake lines, you know, uh, all kinds of things have to be thought about depending on how long you're going to be operating in, you know, in these locations.
0: Right. <clears throat> and and that's, uh, that's one of, uh, great many things that, uh, um, are very important that, uh, frequently don't get talked about by, People that claim to be professionals in this industry, what you talked about uh, vehicle maintenance um, and 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 maintenance people that come over to say their office or their residence, um, you've got to know who and what they are and their backgrounds and whether they're reputable and legitimate uh, because you don't know until you know and it can be too late by the time you know. Sometimes, so yeah, that that's a key. That is a key. Um, factor in in the protection de- uh world is it not i mean you're, you're basically sleuthing um, for for those sorts of things yeah, and it
1: seems like yeah yeah it seems like the higher the profile of, of the clients you're protecting the more you have to think about that stuff obviously if you're protecting you know some airline pilot and you know he doesn't really have a lot of enemies but maybe he's just a paranoid and or maybe just wants some status, you know, like, hey, if I get a protection guy, I'm going to feel better about myself. Okay, cool. You know, you probably don't have to think too much about the, you know, about the car mechanics and stuff like that. But as the as the principal becomes a higher profile guy and he has more and more enemies, you know, maybe he's some kind of general to a, you know, third world country that everybody wants to get to, then everything has to be considered from the food source to the car to to the whole nine yards who he's talking to whether or not his phone's bugged whether or not the rooms are bugged there's just uh it can get as deep as you can you know everything you can think of uh should be considered really
0: right wow yeah so it it can (laughs) it can get really deep uh so are there are there resources that you can think of online offline around the nation? um in local communities that people can turn to um uh whether you know for either additional information or for networking or for finding work i mean what would you recommend what what's worked for
1: you it's 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 a great question scott and i would say that the answer is evolving and right now in our in our industry with the amount of communication and resources we have with facebook Like, for instance, for me, I'm kind of out of the box these days. I probably do one protection gig a year now, you know, because I'm tied in with my family and I'm tied in with Triple Canopy and I'm tied in with my my workout regiment. And so for me, you know, I I just don't get as many gigs as I did in Miami and then New Orleans, uh, you know, kind of in the mountains of Colorado here. But um, a big resource is wherever you live in the United States, or, or OCONUS, you can tap into groups within that area, protection groups. Like, I probably am a part of six or seven different protection groups on Facebook about protection, uh, you know, protecting in that area. And there's just ongoing information. There's probably 20 posts from each one every day. And it's, you know, hey, looking for a, a guy to do a night, uh, you know, Saturday night in Fort Collins, 35 an hour, Business attire, unarmed. You know, and you, hmm. you know, if you if you're interested, you chime in. Also, if you have a question, like, hey, listen, guys, you know, I live in Colorado, but I'm going to be operating in Seattle. Uh, who knows anything about Seattle? And you'll have five guys jump in. Oh, I'm from Seattle. I just moved out of here. Here's what you'll need. Call Scott Dresser if it gets deep. Boom, boom, boom. Huh. You know what I mean? It's just the resources now are so much better than when I operated full blast you know when i was operating 10 15 years ago like for a living full blast i didn't have those tools that are now available to these younger these younger guys and girls
0: okay so whether the person does or does not already have an established network that that does everything they need it to do for them they you're saying that the resources are there and most if not all of them are online um, and they can pretty much find whatever they need online if they just do a little research and type in the right keywords and just look around enough, right?
1: That's right, yeah. And Facebook's just one of the platforms. You can get on LinkedIn, and, uh, and there's groups there. Uh, there's, just, there's just so much information now electronically, and it's so easy from an electronic start to navigate into, you know, a, a top-tier protection person in that community that can help you, that can team up with you that can give you advice there's uh you know there's just not a shortage of that any longer
0: huh wow okay uh and that's probably not going to come to a screeching halt anytime soon that's probably just going to become uh more of it then i mean the way things are going with with uh, all these uh new new forms of communication okay uh so so, Dave. I gotta I gotta ask you. We're um, we could talk all day about this stuff, and if you want to, we I guess we could. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, no, uh, but we've been at this for a while now. Um, so let me ask you: uh, What sort of parting sage advice that you haven't already imparted? What 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 thing or things would you like to say or tell people? Uh, to keep in mind, um, or to think about, or to consider.
1: Still there, Scott? Yeah, can you hear me? Okay, I can now.
0: Okay, uh, yeah, what what thing or things would you ask people to think about or consider um, as they move forward um, in their in their decision process or their career in the security industry?
1: Okay, good. Um, first and foremost, and I think we touched on it. Uh, You know, if it wasn't in the last episode, it was in the, you know, kind of the part one. But um, I think deciding which kind of protection person you're going to be, are you going to be a full-time, live in the house, make eggs over medium and get the newspaper every day? Are you going to be supplemental? Are you going to kind of, you know, live in your home, you know, with or without your family and take on principles as they come to your area? I guess the third thing is, are you willing to travel out of your area into, you know, the areas that the principals are in for uh, short and or long periods of time. And when you do that, uh, are you uh, are you familiar with that area? I mean, are you going to pick up real quickly on the routes and the restaurants and the clubs and the uh, rules of engagement and the weapons laws and the different counties? There's just so much to consider. So the first thing you're going to need to do to not sound overwhelming, is you're going to need to figure out how much you're willing to, you know, to play ball with. Are you going to not have a family and just live with Britney Spears for 20 years, <laughs> or are you going to, you know, or wait for these people to come to you, or are you going to come to them? And when you come to them, you got to understand that you're going to have to know ten times the amount of information as them coming to you, because now you're going to unfamiliar territory possibly, and you're going to have to learn. All of those things quickly,
0: right? Oh, yeah, that's that's well stated. Um, well, let me let me ask you. Um, I, th- this was one that I forgot to ask you earlier. Have you been on a detail or been part of a, uh, a protection detail where, uh, for whatever reason, certain members or members of uh, one or more of the teams um, didn't take it? in your opinion, seriously enough to get out and n- learn the area, learn the routes and, uh, you know, know where all the hard points were. Have you ever had anything like that happen?
1: Yes. Um, you know, uh, Jamaica was uh, one example, but another one would be, uh, I protected the, uh, the guys from your neck of the woods, uh, it was, uh, Paul Allen and, uh, and the other computer guy, uh, that guy's name he's still in your seattle area you talking uh, about bill, bill gates uh, yeah bill gates and paul allen so, okay paul allen was the, was the owner of the seattle seahawks till he passed away a couple years ago yeah uh six or seven years ago he came to new orleans which was the town i was in and uh he was you know op- operating under the co- uh the company of uh, vulcan and uh vulcan hired a couple of us because of exactly what we talked about. Vulcan did not know New Orleans, did not know the roads, did not know the rules. So they hired a couple of us as drivers and guns to basically guide them along. So Vulcan would be on top of Paul Allen, Paul Allen's wife, Paul Allen's entourage. We didn't touch any of them. We drove the vehicles, we were armed, and we made all of the communication with local law enforcement. We liaisoned getting through... Uh, Getting through driving barriers, making movements that other people couldn't make, and uh, and that was uh, you know that was super successful. So that's that's kind of how I learned about the stuff that I was you know talking to you about the last couple of minutes. I mean, Vulcan took us on, and we did kind of the grunt work for Vulcan, you know, and at a high dollar amount. We made really good really good money during that Super Bowl. That was the Super Bowl where the ball Baltimore Ravens played the San Francisco Forty ers in New Orleans, and that's when the lights got shut off in the Superdome in the third quarter. And things really got crazy but, uh, <laughs> you know Vulcan just <laughs> Vulcan was inside the stadium, called us we were outside the stadium, stationed in vehicles we we asked him you know would you like us to move vehicles? Would you like us to do anything? No, just stay put for now. We know exactly where you are stay there and uh you know, we'll we'll keep you posted and then the lights came back on twenty minutes later and everything was kinda of back to normal. But that was a that was a funny gig. And and that lasted like three weeks. So wow. we had to do lots of advanced work before uh Paul Allen and his entourage came in and we did we even did stuff, you know, after after the Super Bowl. Just we operated it. That was a long three weeker.
0: I'll bet. Um you know, and that was another question I had that i forgot about until you brought it up again. Um, I gotta get my notepad and pen out. more often for this, but uh, can you articulate to people that are listening why it is so important to have some sort of communication with the local law enforcement folks or have a liaison with them or develop a relationship with them? Can you articulate why it's important and how it benefits the professional protector?
1: Yes. So the most important reason is you're sitting in a vehicle, it's two in the morning, You know, even if you're outside the Superdome, you're going to have civilians, and they're going to see you. They're going to see your vehicle sitting there. Your vehicle's probably in front of a residence or a building or something that just looks a little strange, and they're going to call local law enforcement. And They're going to say, I see a muscular white guy, 190 pounds with a scar on his face, and it looks like he's carrying an (laughs) M4. (laughs) Pulling (laughs) the And you want the police to be able to say, okay, yes, yes, Mrs., uh, Yes, this is Ederwitz. Uh, we are aware of that individual. Uh, uh, thank you very much for your information. Right, <laughs> right. You are you not going to f- want four police, you know, cars to run up to you and, <laughs> and draw down and say, "Hey, get out of the car,"
0: you know. Oh man. Okay. So, so I mean, but that's primarily. I mean, that's that's really the the big reason. It's just so that they know you're there, so that they don't respond to those kinds of inquiries. That they they know you're there, and also now. Let me ask you, if something happens, something goes down and you need the cavalry to arrive, um, they're aware of it, they're, more, they're probably more apt to respond and get there a little bit quicker?
1: Exactly. I mean, it's always a win-win because sometimes these off-duty cops, you can, you can employ them for, for very short periods of time. You know, you can have them, you know, run in advance work for you, get the information. I mean, you can actually pay them for that kind of stuff. And then on the other end, yeah, I mean, there's no surprises. Uh, you know, you're not getting into any drawdowns with police. They know you're there. Um, it's always a win win to let them know what you're doing and why. And uh, like I said, I mean, more times than not, I have cops coming to me and say, hey, listen, you know, I make 48 grand a year as a cop. I mean, you got anything for me to do? And I'm like, yeah, actually, let me talk to this team leader here. Or, you know, if I'm the team leader, I'm like, yeah, I can have you do this, this, and this. Here's 300 bucks. Boom. Wow.
0: Okay. Yeah, um, and and you know, and it's interesting. A lot of a lot of law enforcement, and I, when I say a lot, I don't know what a lot means. You know, whether it's a large percentage or a small percentage, but it seems to me that a lot of the law enforcement guys I've met, uh, and a, maybe a couple or a few gals, um, I mean, they they really want to get into private security protective work. Um, is that a natural trans? From what you've experienced, your exp- is that a natural transition for these people?
1: I think so. I, I would say it's a lot easier to go from a cop to what we do than to go from what we do to a cop. <laughs> from me, I went from I went from what we do to try to be a cop, and I was a cop in Colorado Springs Police Department for a year or so, and it just wasn't a good fit. It wasn't enough money. It was too much work. It was too much report writing. Huh. Too many arrests. Too much getting spit on. You know, just for not enough money. Wow when you're a cop and you leave a job making 50 or 60 and having to deal with the public so much, and you're now getting kind of in the high life where you're now on a principal and he's paying $800 a day and you're not getting spit on and you're just making quick movements and quick decisions being really decisive. It's uh, it's usually a pretty good fit. The cop is so appreciative that he has this new job that he's like really good at it. Right. serious. <laughs> <been my> <laughs>
0: And it makes a lot of sense, too. Let me ask so you, so you've, you've done security, so you have experience both uh, working on land and working at sea, uh, maritime security. Do you, do you have a favorite type of security, is there one that you would like to go back to if you could?
1: Yes, sir. Uh, that's, without a doubt, maritime protection, which it seems like the bottom kind of fell out of it in 2015, which coincidentally is the year that I stepped away and became a police officer, but um and I think a lot of nuts and bolts and reasons why that happened you know number one, you know us Americans you know we we, we like to make five six you know up to a, you know thousand dollars a day because if we 're not making that, we can find things in the United States to make that well, other places around the world don't have that, so they don't have the definite four or five hundred dollar a day job you know waiting for them in their country, and so they're able to work in the maritime industry for cheaper, and so it got contagious with the with, with these shipping companies mm. and with the protection companies that are involved in these shipping companies. They are starting to hire people like Indian commandos, Sri Lankans, mm. even Brits who are just a closer flight to getting into Africa than than the American who needs six hundred dollars a day. The Brit will work for three hundred pounds a day. They work for. It worked for a little more than half of what we're doing, and, and they're closer. So we, you know, I'm not saying that Americans can't get into maritime, but it's a lot tougher than it was when I was running from 2011 to the to the tail end of 2014. Huh. But to answer your question, Scott, that would be my number one pick if I could get back in the maritime, because the maritime, you know, when it was paying high dollar, and you can create your own schedule, you can let the you know, let the company owner know. Yes, I'm I'm willing to stay out overseas for, for for X amount of days, doing X amount of runs. But after that, you know, I have to come back to the states, and they'll they'll fly you back, and then they'll they'll replace you. They'll replace you with another teammate, hmm. who will fly into one of those locations that we were operating out of, and then they would just reboard another vessel. It just continued to go on. So you can stay out for as long as you want, or as little as you want. And so you can make as much money as you want for as little as you, or as little as you need.
0: Huh? But but so but in those uh, positions, those contracts. I mean, but you you can do a constant rotation, right? I mean, it's not just a one-time shot, or is it?
1: Um, yeah, it, it all depends on how many ships your company has, you know, kind of in their in their coattails. And uh, and so, for instance, uh, I get shipped off in December two thousand eleven. I fly into Muscat, Oman. It's me, you, and Doc. We'll just say uh, we got Doc Hesh with us. So it's me, Scott, and Hesh, and we board a ship. We um, it goes to Mozambique. It delivers coal. It comes back to it comes back to Muscat, Oman, three weeks later, and Scott has to go back to Seattle because your kids graduating from university. At that point. Me and Greg Hesch would be stashed away at the Golden Tulip Hotel in Muscat, and we would wait on your replacement. That replacement would come a couple days later, and then we would jump on another ship, ideally. Uh, Another ship would have to need operations, and my company would have to kind of have the lock-in of that operation. And so we would be the team. It's not last second. It's like, okay, you're going to be in Muscat in five days? I have two guys sitting in Golden Tulip, and the third guy is going to be joining them. They will protect your ship in five days. Huh. Wait for your replacement. He comes. We board the ship. We do our stuff, and then somebody else probably has something they have to do. Maybe I have to go back to Colorado to do what, or you know, Greg Hash has to go to New Mexico to do what. And at that point, it's just a constant cycle until there's no more ships. Until there's there's just not any ships running. And then at that point, the company, if they're smart, flies us all back to CONUS. We all go back to our home of records. And, you know, they wait for another ship and then they build a new team and it goes from there.
0: Okay, so, so that was, so then my follow-up question, and I think you answered it, but it's, uh, so there's no, there's no guarantee that when any one of us is done with our, you know, whatever we had to do back home, when we go back, A, there's no guarantee we'll go back and B, if we do go back, there's no guarantee that we'll hook up with the guys we worked with.
1: Perfect uh, questions, and you are exactly right. No guarantee that you'll ever go back again. No guarantee of any time frames on going out, and if you do go out, no guarantees that you're gonna work with Dave Williams and, and, and Doc Hash and hmm. Scott Dresser. Might get a completely different team.
0: Interesting. Okay, okay. But 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 you and but so you would go back to it uh primarily for the money then? If you could.
1: I like the money and I like the duty, you know, the three of us, one guy's on the flight deck or the top of the ship kind of protecting the, the captain and, you know, all the operations up top and the other two guys are down in their room. So essentially it's four hours on, eight hours off as the ship moves and, uh, yeah, you know, while you're not on, you're studying languages, you're doing pushups, you're sleeping, you're reading, you know, you're. Uh, yeah, it was, just, it was just a good job. I I, I liked it. I like okay. I liked being up up on the top there with the on the on the deck there. You know, waiting to see what's coming and you know watching the watching the whales follow us and the huh. dolphin jump. You know, out of the water and it was yeah, it's just watching the sun come out of the Indian Ocean at five a.m. That's that's unbelievable. Hmm. The stars in the sky at night are unbelievable. So it's just wow. a beautiful beautiful gig, really.
0: So, okay. So, and then another question came up, um, because I know I've run into this and fortunately it's never been a real problem. I've always found a way to do it. Um, but there's gotta be times when, and you said a lot of pushups, which is what jarred this, there's gotta be times, you know, you want to stay fit, you want to stay healthy. Um, so there's got, there had to be times, and I'm sure there are times where you went to work out, but probably the only thing you could do was push-ups and maybe some pull-ups if you could find some place to do that with. I mean, so there's plenty of times, I'm, I'm assuming, when you don't have your weight sets and, and your gyms available. Um, how, how do you stay fit in those when that happens? And, and does it happen a lot?
1: Yeah, great questions. Uh, more times than not, you don't have a gym to rely on, so you're lifting rusty cans. Your lip, you know, it's, it's jailhouse rules on a ship.
0: I don't care how luxurious
1: <laughs> it is. It's kind, of, it's kind of prison rules. You're literally doing pull-ups off of the little tiny lip you have over your door. I mean, you know, you can <laughs> you got to be as inventive as you can as far as nutrition and eating. If you're on a U.S.-flagged vessel, you're going to be in good shape. You'll be eating lasagna and chicken breast. But if you end up on a Chinese or Philippine vessel and you're not used to eating fish heads and rice, you know you can lose 20
0: pounds on a long voyage <laughs> <laughs> Wow okay so so your workout has to and, and I'm and I'm assuming that it's not always just uh, on the maritime side sometimes even on um, landborne uh, uh, security there, there's times when you got to be creative in, in, in how you do your workout you know picking up big rocks or logs or whatever I mean but so it's not just maritime security but 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 more so is that correct?
1: Yeah. Right. I mean, if you're, if you're on a ship, yeah, you're, you know, or in a hotel, you know, uh, in a, uh, in a place, uh, you know, a, a lot of these hotels didn't have gyms. The, uh, the ships don't have gyms. You have to really be creative and staying fit. Yeah. You gotta, you know, you gotta, uh, learn how to do plyometrics, running in place and dropping down, doing some push pushups, and jumping jacks and, you know, kind of, kind of old school rules at that point. You're, uh, you're doing whatever you need to do to, you know, to try to, uh, you know, knock the breath out of you.
0: Right. So you said running in place. So uh, some of these ships, uh, not conducive to uh, running, running laps. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. Yep. A lot of the ships, not conducive to running laps. Some <laughs> of the ships we were on were moving like uh, negative 20 degree frozen, like gases that you can't shoot into and you can't even get near. So. Wow. Stuck on the back end of the ship and furthermore any kind of engagements uh are going to require you to run down to, to, to basically where the rope ladder was thrown and engage from the top of the rope ladder so you don't shoot or fight anywhere near that highly you know explosive gas that they're shipping wow
0: huh Okay, so there's a lot more to maritime security than probably most people imagine if they've never done it, right? I mean, um, how much of it is, I think I asked you this once before, how much of it is is like what we saw in that Captain Phillips movie?
1: So yeah, the ship, a lot like that. The crew is a lot like that. There's usually 15 to 22 crew members and most of them aren't very tactical. They're hardworking, blue collar kind of guys, oil on their face, and, you know, and, uh, and yeah, you, um, some of the things that you say and do when you're on the ship is, is almost shocking to them that they've never had a security, uh, specialist on their ship. Like, you're letting them know, you know, what the expectation is if we're under attack. If they're going to go into the safe room. Here's the code. And, I mean, a lot of these guys are starting to realize, oh my gosh, we're, we're in some real world stuff right now. I mean, I've been an oiler for 15 years on a ship and it's never been a problem. And all of a sudden we have these three crazy looking Marine guys and uh, telling us that we're going to have to you know, hide underneath the anchors. If uh, something goes wrong. Wow. <laughs>
0: all right. <clears throat> yeah. Um, okay. So uh, again, uh, what do you say? Um, uh, man uh i I know we book you, you book you have stuff you need to do and we could talk all day uh but so we'll go ahead and put a uh wrap on this but so as we do that do you have a final thought or final words of wisdom golden nuggets that you haven't uh already put out that you'd like to uh keep be- like people to keep in mind or something for them to consider as they move forward yes uh
1: yeah as we move into this uh you know, and the, the the world of protection is, is, uh, is always changing. It's always adapting. It's, uh, constantly reforming. And once you think you have a grasp on it, then you get a phone call to operate in a place that you've never heard of. So stay really flexible, stay really, uh, really fluid, uh, do as many, you know, tactical courses as you can get your hands on. And if that's, too expensive for you. Read as many books on, on things from subject matter experts as you can, but you, you can't go wrong with a couple of good shooting schools, uh, a couple of good communications, uh, you know, practicing, uh, a couple of good driving schools, be ready to, to work as a team or as an individual, um, without ego, uh, keep the mission as the number one priority, uh, Like they teach us the Marine Corps, mission accomplishment, number one, troop welfare, number two. Your welfare is secondary to making sure that the mission of the principal or whatever it is you're doing in any security capacity is accomplished before your comfort. Um, And then, you know, as you get into these different uh, venues like maritime, you know, you'll you'll learn little tricks of the trade, like bringing your own protein and you know bringing good books to read and, and you know what to look out for but yeah stay absolutely fluid stay humble uh, just be a sponge because you're never you know you never know everything you're always subject to learning new things and that's I think uh, a really good part about you know about everything really but you know in the, in the protection industry it's really important that you remember some of that so
0: right no, no, that, that is that is that is very, very well stated. Um, all right, my friend Dave, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Oconus the Contractor's Life. Again, I want to thank my guest. I uh, can't thank him enough. Uh, my friend Dave Williams for making time to share his experiences with us and his insights and uh, um, help us out with this. So thank you to all the patriots and warriors out there. Thank you to all the listeners. Without all of you, none of this really matters uh remember the grass is not always greener on the other side be careful what you wish for stay frosty. stay safe and until next time keep it
1: real